John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1432.MT0823, certificate number 28232. The Wild Goose. Signal all ships coming out to form up with us. Aye, aye, sir. So you and I uh, just recently were marooned together on a cruise ship. Does it count as marooning if you're on the boat? No. With 3,000 people? We were never marooned. We, uh, although for a while we were forbidden entry to a port. We did not get to go to Turks and Caicos. No. Because the Turks and the Caicos finally, after years of fighting over the island, <laughs> they finally met in the green zone and decided they would not let American tourists onto their island, which fair enough. I yeah. Mean, they're not wrong. The re- the, uh, the the um, mayorality of Grand Turk, the city, the city of Grand Turk denied um, denied passage to It was us. just the mayor? I assumed it went all the way to Queen Elizabeth. It goes all the way to the top. And she consulted with her her, uh, Privy Council of Corgis and decided not to let Americans into their crown colonies. I think all those corgis are dead now. That should be a thing that we talk about on the Omnibus. From from coronavirus? (laughs) No, no. I think that she let them die one after another. Oh, I heard that. She doesn't want them to survive her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They don't care. By the way. Who, the corgis? Yeah. Should somebody tell Elizabeth? I'm not sure we are qualified to say what corgis do and do not care about. They're going to be fine with um, some footman or uh, mm. Camilla or whoever ends up taking care of them. Some footman. I just... I just, just Is that the Red Robin theme? <laughs> some footman. Yum. I, uh, I have spent a lot of time on cruise ships, as you know. This cruise uh, that we just did was my 12th cruise, uh, which seems... No, I'm sorry, my 11th cruise, which seems crazy given that a mere 10 years ago, I never would have considered going on a cruise, even if forced at bayonet point. You had that T-shirt that said, I will not go on a cruise even if you have a bayonet. Yeah, I, you know, I read a supposedly fun thing that I'll never do again and also felt like it was a thing that I didn't have to do even the first time. I learned on our cruise that... Uh, a supposedly fun thing I will never do again is kind of what inspired the first Jonathan Colton cruise. They thought they would do a, a ironic fun cruise once, yeah, like uh, like Wallace does. But instead, they kind of they fell for it. Uh, they did. We all fell for it. And now I'm a veteran cruiser. That I have two different cruise lines that have given me pins of meritorious service uh, because well, I'm a long time cruiser. You saved all those lives. <laughs> Both times. <laughs> I wear them on my uniform that also I got as a result of being on 12 cruises. I thought it was C. Everett cruises. Coop. I was like, they got C. Everett Coop on this cruise? Didn't he die? And then it turned out it was just you yeah. with your weird naval-looking uniform with, make, all your, with all your pins. They make me shave my mustache, too, when I come on board, <laughs> so I just have a chin beard. But how did you like cruising? Uh, I enjoyed the cruise very much. It's, you know, it's a, it's a geek culture kind of cruise. There's lots of fun gaming and podcasting and, and, uh, novelty music. Right. It's a, basically, it's a cruise based on novelty music. It which, is. Which if you're really into Spike Jones and stuff. Uh, it's a, it's based on novelty music, but novelty music has become only one tenth of what happens on that cruise ship. Yes. There's a lot of Dungeons and Dragons playing, but also a lot of polyamory and a lot of. Uh, cosplay. And it was fun to read the message boards every morning and see the meetups that were being mooted. The, yeah. Or the meetups that were being mooted. It was like, hey, uh, knitting monkeys, let's meet on deck eight. 
Hey, uh, fantasy football monkeys, let's meet uh, in the crow's nest and talk about our draft. Yeah. Hey, New York Times crossword monkeys, let's do the crossword together at 10. People super excited about all their crazy things. There were classes on lock picking and classes on... on uh, Watercolor painting. Mindy went to do watercoloring with colored pencils. She couldn't get in, right? I, at the, least li- the, first the line time. was around the block. Yeah. She had to come back on Friday. <laughs> so whatever whatever you're into and passionate about, the geek friendly culture of the Joko Cruise will embrace that and, yeah. and make it a thing. But the but I, I think it's it's not uh, an overstatement to say that some people embrace cruising wholeheartedly, and some people would rather be anywhere else than trapped on a cruise ship, in particular. Uh, a cruise ship that isn't a, a nerd cruise, but is just a regular cruise. Because then everybody's 105. And they're just looking around, looking w- looking for a butter lion to lick. But did you ever, as a romantic, and I know you are a born romantic. Famously, capital R. <laughs> um, did, have you ever considered sailing around the world as a thing to do in your uh, a, after your kids are grown or, or living on a boat? Does it appeal to you at all? A little bit. Sell the house and buy a yacht and cruise the world? I have a friend who did that, a science fiction writer who did that. And, you know, it always looks very enviable when he says, well, yeah, I'm in, I'm in Fiji now. If you're anywhere in the neighborhood, sure. you know, come, come on the boat. And I'm like, well, drive your boat over. How can I be in the neighborhood of what's in the neighborhood of Fiji? Nothing. I'm not a, I'm not a manta ray. <laughs> Uh, but it seemed like a great life. They're lonely is what they're saying. Fly to Fiji, please. <laughs> please hang out with me. I've been playing solo Scrabble. The uh, when my parents moved out to Washington, I thought my dad was going to get a sailboat because it seems logical. He went through a sailing phase when he was younger, and he was talking about maybe going up the inner passage of Alaska. Inside passage, we yeah, say. Inner passage seems uh, anatomical. <laughs> that's a little. Di- that's what uh, Kurt Russell did. If anybody <laughs> offers to go up your inner passage, make sure they get affirmative consent. Right. Uh, and, but he, he, you know, I think he wisely realized what a hassle boats were. The same reason I don't own one, and. Uh, he kind of backed out. My dad was a sailboat owner. My mom called it a hole in the sea where he poured money. Ah, love sailboat good, jokes. Good, good joke. What are the two best days if you're a boat owner? The, the day, day you buy it and the day you sell it. That's right. No, Christmas, actually. Christmas is very Christmas good. is the best day for everyone uh, that, that celebrates Christmas. Yes. Uh, my if da- you're Jewish or Muslim, it's the day you bought the boat and the day you sell it. <laughs> my, for, for everyone else, it's probably Christmas. My dad used to say that if you went to a hardware store to buy a brass screw, it would cost... 50 cents. And if you went to the boat hardware store to buy the same brass screw, it would cost $5.50. Is that true? They, yeah, I think so. There's an insane markup in that industry? I think so. It's all, it's all, because sailors, you know, are, um, they want the thing that's for sailing. They want the, the special they want one. The special, the special one. Is yeah. that why all the sodas on the boat were like three bucks? Uh, no, the sodas on the boat are three bucks because you can't, you can't get off the boat and you can't bring your own soda. It's so funny how uh, all food is free, essentially, but all drinks are not free. And that, that, that goes for all drinks. So if you, if you go to the bur- little burger shack, you could get six burgers yeah. and six fries for free. But if you wanted to add a milkshake to that, that would be four fifty. If you even wanted a Coke Zero, yep. it's going to be four fifty. Um, I, you know, as a, as, as a dedicated romantic, it has occurred to me to uh, live on a boat, to sail around the world, especially as a bachelor, it often felt like I knew, I knew guys out of college that came to Seattle, tried to figure out what their housing situation would be, and settled on buying some sort of decrepit 40-foot Chris Craft yacht that they lived aboard while they fixed it up, both things in huge air quotes. Um, but I had a couple of friends that were living on these you know, 1950s motor yachts that if they were fixed up would be beautiful boats worth a lot of money. Did they ever go anywhere? Oh, you know, when they could get those motors started and like, blah, 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 they would kind of motor out into Lake Union. And, and it was, you know, a thing where when your friends came over, you would spend eight hours trying to get the motor going so you could take them 150 yards out into the lake and have a cocktail party. That's just like my hot tub. <laughs> exactly. It's 100%. I mean, there's it's so normally many. full of slugs, but if somebody's coming over, maybe I'll clean it out. <laughs> so many versions of that where you're. Where you aspire. I mean, my RV was like that. I owned a GMC RV for a couple of years, and and I I went on a lot of missions, but I spent at least as much time trying to chase the mice out of it as I did, like regaling people with my with my RV life. All such possessions are, life. are a bad idea. Yeah. You should only buy things that take exactly zero maintenance. But the but my good friend Bo, who is the bass player of the Western State Hurricanes is an is a a um, an avid sailor 
and bought himself a 40-foot sailboat. Mint, I mean, it's a sailboat that was built by a a legendary sailboat builder. It's meant only to go fast. You know, it's not, it doesn't have luxurious accommodations because there's a, that aspect of sailing that's like a sport. And he thinks of it as a sport and it's what he does. I mean, it's his number one, uh, it's his favorite place in the world and it's the, and it is the thing he does when he has time is sail. But it's not his home. No, he has a, he also has a home, but he would, he, he thinks of, of the boat as, as a place he wants to one day live when he doesn't have to work. It must be where you feel like you're your true self. You must just spend the work week. Just you can't wait to get back on the water. Yeah. And I get that. It's beautiful out there. Yeah, it's nice. And it is, um, it's a, it's a very different life. I mean, living here in Seattle where we're surrounded by water, the, the experience of actually getting down to the water and going on a boat, you suddenly, you realize you're living in a, in a completely different Seattle. If you're just looking at it from 50 feet off the coast. There are other ways to do that, though. You could get into kayaking. You could wade uh, <laughs> out at least as, as far as your neck. You could get one of those inflatable donuts with like a dragon head on it and float out in the middle of Green Lake, I guess. Although I feel like a kayak is, an, is another hot tub that if, you, if you're not really devoted to it, you're just cleaning slugs out of it. That's probably true. But we have some friends who have gone all out with the kayaking lifestyle and go two or three times a week. And, uh, you know, if you sit in it enough, the slugs can't get in. They're like, oh, this guy's in here again. <laughs> <laughs> they they, they go try to else. get over the edge and you're, you flick them off. Yeah, slugs are no dummies. This is my place. They'll go to your neighbor's kayak that hasn't been uh, out of the garage in six years. I think that RVing and and boating being just a, a much more expensive version of RVing appeals to... <laughs> that's, the, that's the license plate. Or that's the bumper sticker. <laughs> it appeals to a lot of people, a lot more people than actually end up sort of practicing it as a lifestyle, sort of like wife swapping, you know, it sounds <laughs> sure, good. We all, we all talk about it all the time sure. to no. our, to our spouses. <laughs> sounds good. But are you really going to like make a love connection with your, with your friend's spouse? Like the, if you don't do it often enough, there's just going to be slugs all over him or her. <laughs> it's hard enough to do it. It's hard enough to keep the slugs off of your own spouse. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, are they, these are the two aspirational things for you. Even, <laughs> RVing even, and boating. Even, even though you're not, no. Or having sw- a spouse. Why swap it? Even though you're not married, you're always thinking about why swapping and retiring to a boat. I'm always con- trying to convince my friends to swap their wives for my RV. <laughs> <laughs> You'll solve all your problems. <laughs> well, um, one of the most famous yachters, and there are a lot of famous yachters. That's a word, yachters? Uh, yachters. Yeah. Out on the waters with the otters? Yeah. Yachters. It's like a, it's a portmanteau of yacht and otter. I guess you can't say yachtsman anymore. Yacht, oh, yachts people? Yachts persons. Yeah, the yachts persons. Only word with a silent CH, by the way. Yacht. 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 It should be yacht. Yacht. Like if it were, I'm sure if it comes from German, it is yacht. Yacht. Or uh, Yiddish? I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't seem like a Yiddish Those word. Those famous luxury Yiddish sailors. Yiddish origins. Um, uh, the, for the purposes of this episode of the Omnibus, we are discussing a, uh, a famous yachtsman uh, by the name of John Wayne. John Wayne, the famous movie star. The limited, the cowboy actor of limited range. Right. Although unlimited height, if, if, you, think unlimited of, height. if you think of the maximum height being 6'3", because he's, he was a 6'4 actor in a time when most actors were 5'4". You can uh, cross-reference this with our... Entry on The Conqueror, uh, the movie where John Wayne played Genghis Khan badly, that's and right. possibly a lot of people got cancer. <laughs> oh, that's right. Well, that's not the, just can, cancer, got uh, got special powers from nuclear bombs. Yes, they got special powers to die young. Uh, well, that is that could be a special power if you were resurrected in an, in an alternate universe. Do you think there are some actors who got superpowers <laughs> from could be from being in that movie? Yeah, sure. Didn't didn't uh, didn't. Joey Lawrence, like, there has to be a reason that he continued to have a career. Joey Lawrence from Blossom? Uh, no, who am I thinking of? Peter Lawford. Oh, why, yeah. Why would Peter Lawford have a career? I think his superpower was kissing up to the Kennedys. <laughs> um, John Wayne, Hollywood actor, decided at a certain point in the early 60s that he wanted to buy a yacht. He had a, he had a growing family and, uh, and, an, and a growing extended family, right? He, he was somebody that kept close with his, um, with the, with the uh, sort of larger side of his family. He liked to entertain. 
and he liked to travel and he, he, um, he wanted, he, he imagined that yachting would be, uh, like a place where he could, if he had a big enough boat, he could get everybody together. And, that's, and he lives in LA where it's a marker of, of, you know, having a yacht, a boat in the Marina is a marker of some kind of prestige. I mean, he's an Iowa kid. He's a Midwestern kid born, but right. I'm sure LA taught him the prestige of boating. Well, and that's, I think if you move to the, if you move to the coast, there's a, a romance to boating that maybe those of us that grow up around boats feel like, meh. I mean, this is a tool to us. There they go again, ringing their bells, honking their horns, making the bridge go up when a hundred cars are waiting. But you know, if you're if you're John Wayne and you can afford a staff, you don't you don't mind the travails of boat ownership. Then every day is the best day to have a boat. Uh If if you're John Wayne, John Wayne also famously um, used to beat up communists and pansies that, but also did not. And we've discussed this before, did not actually serve in world war two. And it was a thing that sort of was a lasting shame uh, for him because he played so many world war two heroes and, um, and was thought of as like one of the great world war two characters. I feel like if you play a world war two serviceman really well, you should not have to serve like, cause Think of how inspiring it would be for someone to watch They Were Expendable and see John Wayne in the Navy and you think that's that's fantastic. He he should be he should be exempt at that point. Right. Well, what he actually got was a a, a draft deferment because he had four kids already and was the um you know and and claimed that he was the sole breadwinner and that he needed to be exempted from the draft. Well, a lot of his fellow Hollywood hot dogs from that same era um, maybe they didn't have four kids, but they, it was, it, I everybody mean, went to war, you know, some greatest generation people or you used to before they all died. Right. It was a thing. It was a thing that if you, if you didn't serve, it was a little bit of a, I don't know, gray mark on your record. And I don't even think that's why people went. It was a, it was a, they genuinely, they genuinely felt like they yeah. felt the call of duty. That's right. And I think John Wayne did too. And I think he felt bad about not serving. I mean, he's, he's on record for feeling bad about it. One of the great regrets of his life. So in the early sixties, when he was casting about to buy a yacht, uh, as a vacation home for his family, he ended up buying a decommissioned U S Navy minesweeper, um, a minesweeper, by the name, and this is a very romantic name, uh, U.S. Navy. I'm a romantic, so let's hear it. I'm, yeah. I'm ready to, to, to swoon. U.S. Navy uh, World War II era minesweeper, the USS YMS-328. Did we not give cool names to our minesweepers? Were there just too many? There were At least 328, apparently. We were really cranking out minesweepers at the time. Of this style of, of minesweeper, which is a YMS class a minesweeper, over 561 total minesweepers were manufactured during the war. And so, boy, you'd run out of names pretty fast. It's like Joe, Jim, Jack, Jerry. There's got to be more Pokemons than that. More than 561? Yeah. Yeah, but, the, but can you imagine can you imagine the USS Pikachu? Sure. The, U, the USS Gibeob? I think, it would, I think it would help recruitment, honestly. <laughs> Nowadays it would. Is, uh, you could just name them after metal albums, and uh, <laughs> there's an endless number. Is now remind me is uh tell me about these minesweepers like could you plausibly turn one into a yacht like I imagine navy ships being very different than what a movie star would expect from his luxury yacht. Well, so the minesweepers were made um, on a kind of standardized hull that was designed to be kind of a multi-purpose hull, and and they were made out of wood, even in an era when steel was the was the sort of standard for military ships because wood actually was more resilient to say, for instance, an exploding undersea mine. You could, you could build wood at with a, I mean, the wood itself is, is um, more shock absorbent is kind of a better material for this particular task. So uh, 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 initially these minesweepers were made as part of a contract to, for the, for lend lease to the United Kingdom, hmm. um, mining harbors and mining the English Channel. These were these were effective military stratagem 
Um, and so mind sweeping was a, was a major kind of, uh, uh, like a, a necessary, not evil, but a, a necessary component of keeping shipping open. And probably much more of a live issue in Europe than right. it ever was over here. Although in the Pacific theater, as we'll see, it was, it was like a major strategy that the Japanese used to mine both har- harbors defensively and also offensively because you can drop naval mines from airplanes. Uh-huh. So you could mine a harbor. They didn't even have to leave them behind when they left. They could do it from the air. Right. I didn't realize that. So minesweeping was a, was a major activity and, um, and minesweepers often what they do is they will capture mines and then detonate them. So the minesweeper itself has to be kind of re- resilient to a mine exploding nearby, right? They would cap, they would catch them and then blow them up and, and a lesser ship would, you know, would, experience those shocks because wood's got a little give yeah it I does. Guess. It's, it does. it's got a crumple zone so mine sweepers were made all around the united states uh there were probably uh there were 35 36 different shipyards uh, across the u.s all making boats out of this same from this same basic design and then they would outfit them in different configurations for motor patrol for mine sweeping this particular boat, the the USS YMS three two eight, was actually made here in Seattle at mm. the Ballard uh, the Ballard Shipyard. It's a shipyard that still exists today. At the time, it was called the Ballard Marine Railway, um, and they were a kind of a famous, legendary shipyard that ha- that made a lot of the Mosquito Fleet boats that plied the inland waterways here. It's funny today because you know, Ballard was a before and after the war, it was kind of a sleepy, very Scandinavian-heavy fishing village. Right. That's where the fishing fleet was. And today, it's just kind of overrun with hipsters and... People in Stetson hats. Amazon programmers. Programmers in Stetson hats. So there's very little of the of the old maritime industry left, although they, they keep stopping the bike trail from going through. They have, enough, they have just enough pull <laughs> to stop a bike trail from going through Ballard. Well, you may recognize the Ballard Marine Railway because it was purchased immediately after the war by a consortium of 400 Norwegians. <laughs> who, a consortium of Norwegians. Who bought it and turned it into the Pacific Fisherman Shipyard, which still exists and is still not only, you know, building ships, but retrofitting old ships. Um, is it, that's, the, that's the marina kind of by the fisherman's terminal? That's right. Yeah. That's where the deadliest catch that's right. ship leaves from. It's all still happening, and there are Norwegians thick on the ground there still. You can't... You can't toss a fish without hitting a, a Norwegian. There's a new Norwegian museum uh, by the locks there that I still haven't been to. Yeah. Well, they're da- endangered species, the Norwegians. There's not that many left. I can't believe they found 400 of them to make a consortium. Well, that was back then. Today, they have to separate out. If you can put 400 Norwegians together, something terrible could happen. They can't fly on the same plane. Well, they put they put sustainable harvesting techniques, so the Norwegians are they're bouncing back. The albino. There's only one albino Norwegian left, though. He's dying in captivity. John, you and longtime listeners may remember that uh, the last time we worked with Postmates on the show, I enjoyed a bacon, lettuce, avocado, tomato sandwich. And I ordered a bunch of Band-Aids and Gatorade. You really should have had the sandwich. Well, I mean, Band-Aids and Gatorade, delicious. This is another entry in the omnibus brought to you by the fine folks at Postmates. And so I placed another order, and I got the bacon, lettuce, and avocado and tomato sandwich again from the market by my house, Mm -hmm. because I want to support small businesses during a rough time for them. Mm -hmm. It was delicious. Mm -hmm. I also got some mac and cheese with bacon and tomato on it. So good. 10 out of 10 for my Postmates experience. You know, I like a certain kind of cake from a local supermarket. And I've been going to supermarkets a lot less lately, Mm. but I asked Postmates if they would go... And it, it, astonishing to think that a Postmates driver would go into this supermarket, find the cake that I was referring to, get a slice of it, and bring it to me he at home. He didn't even pay for it. He uh, just, it he was just, a she. She just cut it out of the cake and booked it for the door. They, they, they pre-cut them and put them in little, oh, okay. little bastics. And so, uh, so my favorite cake came right to the door and I didn't have to go out. It's, what ama- it's what's amazing about Postmates is you're not just ordering sandwiches or sushi or whatever. They will go to the grocery store for you. They will go to the convenience store for you. Uh, whatever you need in a time when it's harder to leave the house. Local uh, restaurants, Indian food, pho, all the things that you love and, 
and dream of. And for a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners, John, $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. That's kind of astonishing. To start your free deliveries, all you need to do is download the Postmates app on iOS or Android and use code OMNIBUS. That's OMNIBUS for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase Mm. for your first seven days. Just download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. The YMS-328 is a boat that was manufactured after the U.S. entered the war. So there were a lot of these ships that were, that were, uh, that were at least laid down prior to December 7th, 1941. And these ships for were lend lease reasons. for lend-lease reasons. And a lot of them went to the United Kingdom and to Canada. Um, but there were – then after the war – or I'm sorry, after the United States entered the war – there was a real flurry of construction of these ships that were intended for the U.S. Navy. And this boat was one of them. Uh, it, was, it ended up being finished in May of 1943 and was sent to work in the Aleutian Islands. So it patrolled around Adak and Atu. Crossword clues. Um, oh, that's right. These are, all, <laughs> these are great Scrabble words too. Or maybe, maybe they're low-scoring Scrabble words. Atu and Adak and Kiska. I thought they only existed in crosswords. I honestly didn't know you could actually take a boat there. No, and they are they. they it was kind of a a famous theater of war because it was the only um, the Aleutian Islands are the only place that the Japanese the only American soil that the Japanese ever successfully invaded. That's where my grandpa was stationed. He was manning some radio station out on I don't know which remote island, but uh, somewhere way out there. Yeah, which is very romantic. Like, what a great place to spend World War II. Super romantic until you actually get there and realize it's a treeless. And and loveless environment oh, where the wind awful. blows all the time. Well, it's awful, but you're not on Guadalcanal <laughs> with the leeches. That's true. That's true. You're there. With, you're there with the slugs uh, in the in the Aleutian <laughs> Islands, and that's where also this ship kind of did its um, did its wartime service. And then after the war, as you can as you can imagine, um, there were I mean there were fewer mines to sweep. For a lot sure. fewer mines to sweep, and an awful lot of boats. There weren't just minesweepers available. Uh, on the kind of decommissioned ship list, but tons and tons and tons of boats. We've talked about this before, this incredible glut of materiel that there was after the war. An amazing flotilla that that a lot of these ships went on to populate the navies of, you know, dozens and dozens of countries around the world. It's the Toyota Hilux of the seas. (laughs) It really is, right? The (laughs) Chilean Navy and the Romanian Navy all uh, had these World War II era ships. Is Romania landlocked? Uh, no, Romania has a coast oh, on, on the, the Black, Black sea. sea. I guess yeah. that counts. Uh, anyway, so this ship then was part of a, you know, a decommissioned set of ships that uh, this, this one in particular was returned to the Pacific Northwest. Uh, it came after the war to Bremerton and then was purchased by the Vancouver Tug and Barge Company. I have the VTBC. And the, the boat was renamed La Beverie. The, uh, the Bevery? The Bevery. What does that mean? Like a, a place you get beverages? Uh, the Bevery. I'm going to go place... into the Bevery. Would you? Uh, would you get me a Coke Zero? It's uh, it's like ha- it's like a reverie except uh, with a B. It's a group of beavers. Well, anyway, the Bevery did some, you know, did some sort of work around the region, and then was purchased in 1956 by uh, by a local timber baron by the name of Max Wyman. Who, Mac who, Weldon, what? Not Mac Weldon, Max yeah. Wyman. Max who, Wyman from Max Weinstein? Not Max Weinstein, but Max Wyman, whose father was also named Max Wyman, who was a kind of like, a, he was a, a classic kind of Northwest adventurer type who, yeah. who had a, owned timber, but he ended up also owning airlines and he sailed around the world and he was a, he was a benefactor to young children at, 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 at one point. He was on the island of Tahiti, and there was a young girl who suffered from a congenital heart problem, and he flew her back to the United States to have a heart surgery. Like he was one of these one of these millionaires that we hear about all the time who we can't possibly tax because if we tax them, maybe it would inhibit their their Tahitian girl from <laughs> flying airlift. Yeah. All their, all their, the wonderful giving that they do, the giving back, the trickling down of their wealth, uh, to help us, to help us, the people. Thanks, Max. Uh, Max converted it into, uh, into a private yacht. And because these boats are made out of, in this case, um, 
Douglas fir, they're outfitted in an older style, Ken, in a in a in a manner. What unlike, does that mean? Cannons? Uh, can, well, no. Cannons? Uh, they all it's had got a pirate flag. They all had uh, they all had Moroccan uh, boys doing all of the, <laughs> the drink serving. No, they were made. You know, if we think about a decommissioned naval ship now, you think of this gunmetal gray, right. painted steel. If I'm John Wayne, I don't want to buy that. But that the, boat looks ugly, Pilgrim. Oh, Give me wait. a nicer one. I'm waiting for your impression. It's pretty good. Uh, it is a good. It is a good impression. And this was a nice boat. It was made of wood, and a a, a wooden ship has wooden ships on the water. They're they're very free and, free and easy. easy. It's the two things I know about them. Number one, they're free. Number two, they're easy. They're very easy. Have I, you ever seen the Southern Cross? <laughs> I don't, this one probably was not free. I assume he. I assume both Wyman and later John Wayne spent a lot of money. Wyman spent quite a bit of money uh, turning it into a yacht, and he he named it. Uh, and this is uh, kind of confusing to me. He named it the Wild Goose Two. <laughs> well, now, will this make sense to me if I have not seen Wild Goose One? I, I, I do not see any sign in the record that Max Wyman ever owned a Wild Goose One. He did have... Maybe he's dissing his wife or something. He had like, other Caroline's ships. the real Wild Goose. Am I right, folks? <laughs> is that a diss or is that an invitation to swap? Hey, hey. Is that why John Wayne bought the boat? <laughs> is that why I bought the boat? John Wayne loved the Northwest, and he loved yeah. cruising here. He enjoyed Alaska. He enjoyed... Like cruising, like driving up and down the... No, cruising, like listening. swapping wives. Are you not listening? <laughs> Truck stops and whatnot. <laughs> Out by my parents' place in Squim, there's still the John Wayne Marina, uh, where I assume he must have parked a boat. John Wayne bought hundreds of acres in Squim with the idea of building not only a, a namesake marina, but like a whole sort of John Wayne... Like an amusement park? <laughs> no, like a nature camping resort. He gotcha. wanted to build a resort. And in the end... A me-themed resort. <laughs> the John Wayne Resort. Come on up and... Party on. Comes. I do not do it good. <laughs> no, that was really good. His famous catchphrase, party on. <laughs> Remember, he'd be like, party on, Ward Vaughn, and Ward Vaughn would say, party on, Duke. I think his most famous catchphrase actually was, my bad. <laughs> my bad. Sorry hey, I there, beat you kiddos. up. I thought you were a red or maybe one of those queers. He wasn't really progressive politically no. is what I'm saying. No, he wasn't. A lot of futurelings may not know this about John Wayne, but an impression of John Wayne used to be one of the most popular things for kids of our generation to know how to do. It's very easy. And then it was replaced by Nicholson. Oh, it's the same accent, right? <laughs> I don't know if it's... I don't know what you're talking about. It's just, some, it's just something you can do without actually being able right. to do impressions. You want, me to, you want me to hold the tomato? I want you to hold it between your knees. Is that John Wayne if he had been cast in five easy pieces? <laughs> That's what it is. That was my impression. Uh, so, but, the, but I think his family did... His family continues to own that land in Squim, and they did sort of brand this, um, this marina up there in his memory. But he loved it here. And he came here to buy his motor yacht from Max Wyman. When having bought it, he spent uh, he spent a lot of money converting it. He actually it cost him one hundred and sixteen thousand dollars in nineteen sixty two money. Oh, that's over half a million today. Is that right? I think. Do you know the exchange? It's, well, but it's roughly you know half a million dollars. If you went and bought a boat right now, yeah, you wouldn't get a converted minesweeper. Nice I'll tell no. you that. But did he fancify it up? He, um, Wyman had already made it into a, a nice place. And I think what you do when you take a, when you take a decommissioned ship like this and you turn it into a yacht, what that is, is it's just like buying a house that's been used. It's just like buying a 10 bedroom house and taking five bedrooms away by pulling the walls down and you just make the rooms bigger. You, that's you, a, a major way of doing it. You want the hull. You want the hull. And that's about it. Everything else is... You want to, yeah, you want to make like, you want, daddy wants a big room and then you want a room with some bunk beds for the kids. And then you want a room for, for grandma to come stay with you on the, sh on the boat. That's getting a little a better. wild goose. It's getting a little better. I don't honestly. really have a good John Wayne accent. That just sounds like I you drunk. <laughs> it is kind of what <laughs> I sounded like drunk and it's been a long time. Is that why people drink? So they can feel like they John Wayne? feel like John Wayne. Uh, he, his family loved it and they immediately commenced sailing up and down and all around. Uh, they took it down to California. He, it was a, it was a place that he loved to entertain. He loved to sail out to Catalina. 
Uh, Ronald Reagan was a frequent guest. Nixon been on the boat. Um, there was a, I think Sammy Davis Jr. had his own lifeboat. His own lifeboat. He wouldn't, let, he wouldn't let him on the main what? boat, huh? That's no, no, no. There was a there was a there was a room that was really small that Sammy Davis got the Sammy Davis Jr. A memorial yacht room. Is that tr- is the story true? No, no. Oh. I'm making all of that up. And the thing about Omnibus is we almost never make anything up, but every once in a while, and and when we do, we call each other on it. Am I right? We do, but I was totally going to believe your uh, the racist stateroom policies <laughs> aboard the Wild Goose. Story. No, it's not. It's not racist. It's it's heightist. Oh, I see. Yeah. What's curious about the uh, the Wild Goose, the the USS YMS three two eight, is that of the five hundred and sixty one total uh, minesweepers of this style of this designation that were made. Only 16 were made in Ballard, Ballard in Seattle, Washington here, by Norwegians. But Are those the best ones? They're the best ones. The the Nordic craftsmanship? Of, of, um, and um, a great many of these ships went on to have other lives, but, and then eventually, you know, um, sank offshore somewhere at the expense of all hands. Probably not at the expense of all hands. (laughs) Um, but during this period of John Wayne's ownership, there was another ship, uh, uh, almost n- not identical, but a sister ship, also made in Ballard, hmm. that also was one of the most famous ships in the world, sailing really? at the same time. A sister ship, one of the 16 made there. Was it the Lusitania? It was not. The Lusitania was sunk long before John Wayne was bought this. Was it the Exxon Valdez? It was not. That had not yet been built. Was it the Millennium Falcon? It was not. That is a that is a pretend ship and also a spaceship. What was the other celebrity sister ship? The other celebrity sister ship was no less than the MV Calypso. Calypso! The Calypso. The- Jacques Cousteau's... Maybe at the time, most famous ship in the world. Yes, because everyone would watch his documentaries from the Calypso. And it it was almost like in the Wes Anderson movie. You know, people kind of knew the ship and the crew, and it was a a very kind of romantic uh, side of science. Yeah, Jacques Cousteau won two Academy Awards for Best Documentary Features, making his um, undersea documentaries about all the wonderful seals and whales. Um, two documentaries, not like in, in subsequent years, but 10 years apart. He made one in the fifties and one in the sixties, both won the Academy Award. I grew up watching his stuff on TV. He had like, he had PBS shows and really the, you know, the kind of the, his narration leading you through the world, you know, that, that's a key ingredient of those. I think that you kind of feel like you're on the ship with him and, uh, you know, it's not like the most nature documentaries have kind of an invisible hand. Right. You don't know how they got that close to the penguins or the snow leopards or whatever. But his are more like ship's diaries. They are, although this is hard to say, but um and I I don't mean like um hard like it's like it's difficult to pronounce, but difficult to say, which is that in later years it was kind of revealed that Jacques Cousteau um would capture animals and put them to work pretending to look like they were in nature put and them to work and actually uh, maybe was kind of cruel to animals and so, and quite a few of them died in his captivity in the no. in the process of making these wonderful documentaries his son both reveals this and also kind of doesn't condemn it he says like this is just how the world worked in 1950 we didn't know how to we didn't know how to David Attenborough quite as well as we know now. It's probably true. Yeah. Zoos were all just concrete cubes back then. People thought animals were there to do tricks. Yeah. You grab a seal, you chain, you chain his leg to a concrete ball and you make him look like he's, he's having fun. Disney used to push lemmings off cliffs. I mean, not Walt personally, but his. Can you be sure? Maybe. Maybe he flew up there just to push lemmings off cliffs because they wouldn't do it because that's an urban myth. What lemmings jumping off cliffs is an cliffs is an urban myth. Yeah. Well, how are we supposed to use that as a metaphor for people unquestioningly following leaders? It still works as a metaphor. I don't know what you would say instead. Oh, I don't know. Republicans instead of lemmings. Yeah. Boy, you're going to get letters. Hey, oh. Uh, send uh, send your correspondence to the Omnibus Project at gmail.com. CC Ken. 
the Calypso, and I'm sorry, I said MV Calypso, but it's really RV Calypso. Oh, it's an RV like yours. It's an RV, just like mine. And, and Jacques Cousteau bought it because he had run out of ideas oh, about Royal how Navy. to have fun. Royal Navy, of course. Is that what it means, Royal Vessel? Uh, when I said RV, uh, or I'm sorry, when I said MV Calypso, it's actually RV Calypso, which is a much rarer designation. MV meaning motor vessel and RV meaning research vessel. Oh. There are quite a few fewer research vessels than motor vessels. RV Calypso would be a cool name, like if you're a detective or something. If you were like a, you're a, saying a dude A, a dude detective name? who lives on a boat, yeah. Oh, my name is RV, RV Calypso. Calypso. Here's my card. That is a good a good name, r.v.calypso. I've come on the sloop, John B. R and V stand for Reginald uh, Viceroy. Bell Johnson. <laughs> Van Buren. Reginald Van Buren Calypso. That's pretty good. Thank you. Uh, the Calypso is the earlier of the two boats. Um, the the Wild Goose was made out of Douglas fir, but the the Calypso made earlier for the Lend Lease program, actually made out of Oregon pine, which is, is that worse or better? I don't think of I don't yeah, think you, of Oregon pine as being the most water well, pine. You make cheap toys out of, right? Right. But Oregon pine being a very different and better kind of pine. Ken, to all, of our, to all of our Oregon listeners, I say, your pine is among the best pines. Uh, the Calypso was made for the Royal Navy. It worked as a minesweeper in the Mediterranean. And after the war was uh, like similarly decommissioned, returned, I think all of that Lend-Lease stuff had to at least symbolically be returned to the ownership of the United States. Right. It's a, it's a Lend. It's a Lend. We, we didn't call it the Give Donate Act. It's the Lend-Lease Act, yo. So they were like, here's your boat back. And, of course, the United States said, we're not interested. Thank you. And decommissioned it immediately. And it became – it was converted initially to be a car ferry that worked the Malta route. Oh, really? It was a Maltese car ferry. Where do you – you go from Italy to Malta on a a car ferry? Uh, I think from Malta, yeah, you would – well, you'd go to – Or North Africa, maybe. uh, Right, uh, Tangiers. No, you would go to Algiers. No, you would go to some Jiers. Tunisia. You'd go to Tunisia is where okay, you would you go. go to Tunisia. Um, and then it was purchased by, uh, it was purchased secretly by member of parliament, Thomas Guinness. Um, of the, of the Irish, of the Guinness Irish family? Guinness family. Although Thomas Guinness born and raised in New York. Uh, but he was kind of a World War II, a jaunty sort of pilot, uh, one of these aristocratic Spitfire pilots that fought in the Battle of Britain. He uh, there kind of has a famous story that at one point he was flying, he was flying out during the war, but gas was rationed, and so he bought a gas station next to the aerodrome just so he could have more gas for his sports car to drive around in the, on the weekend, you know, rich people, if we tax them, Ken, what happens is they don't use that money to benefit the rest of us. He's, he's creating jobs with his gas station next to the base. He bought a gas station in order to have gas. That's the engine that the economy drives on. Um, Thomas Guinness did not buy the boat for himself. He bought it. For Jacques Cousteau, famous French uh, animal torturer and uh, and sea explorer. See, this is why we can't tax the rich. <laughs> Who would donate boats to to Jacques Cousteau? To prominent French animal torturers. But he did it under the condition that he be anonymous and and he and the and the gift of this boat. And it wasn't a gift; it was a land lease. He <laughs> leased it to Jacques Cousteau for one franc a year. And this is before Franks. This was back when Franks were not worth as much as <laughs> they are today. Just one Frankfurter. Jacques Cousteau had to had to give him a one hot dog. One a hot year. dog every year. No, a Franche Frank, which uh, at least the last time before Franks were uh, tied to the euro and then absorbed into the euro, I always think of Franks as being worth one quarter of an American dollar, twenty five cents. In the same way that Deutschmark was worth fifty cents. And a British pound was worth a dollar fifty. These exchange rates are are absolutely sealed in my head from 1985. Well, regardless, I think we can agree that Jacques Cousteau got a pretty good deal, even One if it was even if it was a buck fifty. That's a screaming deal. He had to keep he had to keep this secret though, and he did until after his death. No one knew 
that uh, why that, that MP Guinness was the was the, like the benefactor of Jacques. Why did rich people don't generally want to be anonymous? If you ever looked at the if you ever looked at the list of donors at a at a concert hall, or have something. I ever? God, they're engraved right in the wall. Uh, the The program is ninety percent donors' names, and then and you have to get down pretty low before you find the first anonymous. <laughs> like that's that's usually at the four ninety nine to. $9.99 tier. A half a dozen anonymouses who don't want their housekeepers to know that that's why they can't give them a raise this year. <laughs> that's exactly no right. No money in their Christmas card. Uh, in this case, I, I'm not sure. You know, there, are, there still are rich people of the old school, Ken, the old guard, who aren't looking for fame and, and accolades. They aren't, they aren't benefactors just to... Uh, sway public opinion. Just to see their name on a plaque? No, no. They're doing it for the for all the good reasons. And in this case, the Calypso, arguably... Um, this guy just loved to see octopuses tortured. Well, but also, I mean, the Calypso, I think you could make a very powerful argument, sort of kick-started the environmental movement and invented um, popular oceanography. It's why all the girls named... Uh, Brenda, who went to elementary school with me, wanted to be marine biologist. Yes, I was about to say, every child now, for the last maybe 50 years, goes through a brief phase of wanting to be a marine biologist. I checked this out with my daughter not very long ago. I said, because, oh, because when we were having that conversation, what did you want to be when you grow up? Uh, my daughter's mother said that she wanted to be a marine biologist. And my daughter didn't know what that was. And I said, well, if you grew up in the 1970s, you definitely wanted to be, and if your name was Kirsten, 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 or Kristen, if you were a horse girl, <laughs> you wanted to, you wanted to work with dolphins or fish. And uh, my daughter confessed that none of the kids at her school had any interest in being marine biologists. Is that true? My daughter went through a marine biology phase. Well, but your daughter, I'm not, I'm not sure what the vector is. Your daughter's what? Eight years older than mine. That's true. So it must is, she the, have, is she the last of the, the last. the last of the dolphin lovers? The last of the great marine biologists. Everybody at your at your daughter's school just hates dolphins so or, much. Or they, it might be a eat thing, them for lunch. She's only my daughter just turned nine, uh, but, and maybe it's a thing that happens when they're twelve. How, when when did Kate uh, go through her dolphin phase? I think she was younger than yeah. twelve. This was like seven, eight, nine. It was there was some kind of whale or dolphin phase. No, I don't think it exists anymore. I think it's gone. That's sad. Well, I mean, all the fish are going to be gone soon, too. Right. So it's, it, that's, that's nature's way. Jacques Cousteau died in 1997, which in our time feels like not that long ago, but it is actually 23 years ago. And maybe it's a, 20, it's a 21-year-old hangover. After the death of Jacques Cousteau, his, his memory still reverberates in the culture for 20 more years and then is gone. He never got replaced. There was no – nobody else has filled the undersea guy niche. Well, sadly – uh, when he died, he left a fairly complicated estate. Uh, Jacques Cousteau was married to his first wife, Simone, for many years. And I thought his wife was the sea. Uh, his life, his love, and his lady was the sea, but, but his was wife was, was Simone. Was Brandy. I mean, Simone. <laughs> um, and Simone was like an integral part of his whole operation. She kind of um, – she was a scuba diver and was – uh, I think kind of legendarily the, the person that kept the lights on kept, you know, she kept the books and she actually was a big part of the promotion of his, um, his whole operation. But in the style of the time was weirdly given almost no credit, uh, in the public imagination because Jacques was the, was the face. I was just reading something about how literally all the great nonfiction writers of the 20th century, like their wives were doing some to all of the work Yeah, and almost always without credit. And it was just typical at the time. Like it was weird when Will Durant actually started crediting his wife as a co-author late in his career because everyone just kind of assumed, well, yeah, you've got a full-time research assistant. You married her. It's awesome. She doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't want a thing. Right. You don't have to pay her. It's fantastic. Uh, Jacques Cousteau kind of said about Simone at one point, um, oh, she, was, she did not like to be in front of the camera. She preferred uh, to be in the back in the cabin. What an outrageous French accent <laughs> he had. crazy. This, uh, he did not want his, his wife to be a, a famous. <laughs> anyway, he, uh, the, together the two of them had... Um, had some uh, children, uh, as we say. Uh, she was the mother of his uh, uh, two children, Philippe Pierre, 
ohne Jean-Michel. Und als ihr sie erst für sie küsste ein paar. Ah, hier ist das Problem. After her death, she, she, they, they were married until she died. I can't keep doing it, not because it's not great, but because no, it's... It's incredibly annoying. It's really annoying and, and offensive. Oh, Keto, I am in no mood today. Um, after, he, after she died, he uh, married his second wife, Francine, who was a flight attendant and uh, his longtime lover uh, because he was because French. French. Yes. He had uh, he got assigned a wife and a uh, girlfriend. They had the probably at the same swapping, time. Except she was not a swap. It was uh, also aussi, a girlfriend aussi. He had a pied de terre. There's a reason why they invented the word pied de terre to mean place where you boff your girlfriend. Right. Place where you boff your girlfriend. That's uh, French for pied means place. Pied means place. Ah uh, means uh, where you boff. Girlfriend. And terre means your girlfriend. <laughs> Uh, so, in marrying Francine, according to French law and to many, many laws of states around the world, the estate of Jacques Cousteau uh, transferred to his widow. Um, and this began a long and difficult struggle within the Cousteau family for uh, control of the Cousteau legacy, along with which went uh, control of the Calypso. Actually, the boat. And uh, Jacques Cousteau's sons, Jean-Michel and, uh, and Philippe, and then Philippe's daughter, Alexandra Cousteau, um, that side of the family kind of uh, has been caught in a very protracted, now 25-year-long legal battle with Francine over Cousteau's legacy. And there are competing visions about what to do. The Calypso, unfortunately, unfortunately for us and for the Calypso, sank in 1996 in Singapore. It ran, it hit an obstacle and sank, but was... Too bad it wasn't still equipped as a minesweeper. It might still be around today. I don't think it hit a mine. I don't <laughs> think the, the harbor in, in Singapore is mined, although one never knows. Nowadays, maybe. Uh, but the boat was raised and returned to France, um, where an, uh, a restoration prod project was, you know, initiated. The idea being to turn the Calypso into a floating museum or an interpretation center or something like this. Despite the fact that Jacques Cousteau, very famously in 1980, uh, said that I would uh, that I believe the Calypso should be scuttled and sunk and turned into a reef because I would never want to see this beautiful boat prostituted as a museum. He didn't want to, because you know what I hate? Museums. <laughs> that thing that's famously bad for science. I feel like he had a lot of good parties. He sailed around the world 15 times or whatever, and he did not want noobs and snorks tromping around on the deck of his boat. It's a fit of peak. He's like, if I can't have this, I'm going to blow it up and the coral can get it. Does, and my ghost will come back and torture the coral. He does not want to swap this last most beautiful wife uh, and share, <laughs> share He wants to everyone. swap it with his, with his life, his love, and his lady, the sea. The sea, That's exactly. Right. Anyway, in the process of trying to restore the Calypso, uh, the Calypso sat and there were money problems. Uh, it appears that uh, that Francine is in the long line of second the second wife who doesn't fully understand what the husband's legacy is exactly. Um, has, she spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars fighting against Cousteau's children and grandchildren, who also, I mean, who are conservationists and ocean explorer types, but uh, no one has relinquished a, an inch of ground or a fathom of, uh, of, we say. of sea. Who's likable? Who are we rooting for here? Well, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, None of them are likable because they're French? I don't, I, don't, I don't find very many likable characters. Certainly no one believes that the boat should be scuttled, which was, was his final wish. Mm. Um, it seems dumb for families to get into protracted legal battles over the material possessions or 
the or legacies you when just fritter away the fortune. Yeah, and really, I mean, I, I my sense is that his sons want to use the Jacques Cousteau brand to create a, a conservation oriented media empire. And who knows what Francine wants? She just she wants the checks. To keep she coming. just wants the checks to keep coming. Yeah. The uh, the the sad fate of the Calypso is that it sat moldering in various dry docks. Work commenced on it several times, sort of like the SS United States. Right. Uh, it traded ownership. People at, at one point, the Guinness family got involved again because they were nominally the owners. Um, and somebody uh, forgot to pay the franc. Yeah, like Lowell Guinness had had some uh, say in its sale in its sale to uh, like a, a another consortium, not of Norwegians. And as time has gone on, as the twenty five years have progressed, the uh, Calypso has now um, gotten to a point where it is a complete wreck. Uh, she is not seaworthy. She's she's been stripped and uh, and also. All of the Oregon pine has been rotted away and has been oh. taken off of her, and she's just a skeleton of a ship sitting in a warehouse in uh, La Rochelle in France. And the the harbor master of La Rochelle wants this skeletonized boat out of whatever shed it's it's occupying on the is, coast. Is it on Craigslist? There are or, or whatever Craigslist <laughs> is called in in, Spain, in France, Rene's oh, list. List du Craig. Like if if I can haul it away, can I get the Calypso? I think the I think the people of La Rochelle are saying, can we just take this out and sink it and make it into a a, a, a reef and call it the Jacques Cousteau Reef, kind of like the the John Wayne Harbor. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, the story of the wild goose ends slightly better. John Wayne. In, in in the last days of his life, recognized that leaving the leaving the wild goose would be would would cause like a problem in his estate. I recognize that leaving the wild goose would cause a problem in my estate. He didn't want his kids to have to fight over the wild goose. I don't want my kids to fight over the wild goose, and so he sold it. And he sold it for you know seven hundred and fifty thousand bucks. So he made a he made a tidy uh, return because it's still a nice boat that someone wants. And uh, its next owner built a whole third floor on what had formerly been the deck. Built like a big salon and Ooh, a, does, a nice. Does it look weird? It looks a little weird. Hmm. It does not. It does. It did not retain its its silhouette. Uh, and and built it. This happens a lot. Like when 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 uh, Jimmy Carter sold the presidential yacht. Oh yeah, the uh, uh, hold on, Sequoia. The Sequoia that had hosted, uh, you know, all these wonderful uh, Harry Truman and Roosevelt. You know, the all these signings and and this whatnot. was this was Carter's kind of like good prim Baptist mentality. Is right. we're in a recession. It's an austerity move. I can't have a yacht. And 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 in that first in those that, those first few months right the the next owner was like i'm gonna turn it into my you know super cool yacht it's gonna have a waterbed it wasn't that much longer that somebody said hey that was a that's a like a historic boat we should try to return it to its original state and that kind of is what happened to the to the wild goose it uh it underwent some conversions and became somewhat unrecognizable the the longtime captain the longtime captain that worked for John Wayne, uh, a man by the name of Pete Stein, didn't live to see its current state. But the but his old first mate, Bert Marsh, uh, yeah, Bert Bert Minchel, his old first mate, Bert Minchel, who started as a like a deckhand and became its captain, is still alive. Wrote a book about his time with John Wayne on the boat, oh, wow. and says that hardly anything about the boat remains. Remains the same as John Wayne had it. He John Wayne commissioned a commissioned a mural of like Admiral Nelson's naval victories that's still on the boat. <laughs> he really felt like he was a man of the sea. He now really that did. He's, he's bought a yacht. He's he, you I'm, know I'm, I'm in the long tradition of you know Columbus and <laughs> he's murdered off Nelson of, uh, off of Port Orchard and he's looking up at his Admiral Nelson mural. But uh, but the wild goose still is afloat and still is Yay. in operation. What do they? Do? What, what what does it do? It is owned by the Hornblower Cruise Company. Again, 
a little bit of an aspirational name, uh, considering that they're based in Newport Beach, California. <laughs> I'm sure they run all the biggest cruises out of Newport <laughs> Beach. And you can hire the wild goose for your bachelorette party. It's um it just it's, sails out and back. Yeah, it's a little it's a it's like a, a day tripper motor yacht. So the the wild goose lives on. People getting drunk on it. Just, just like John Wayne would have wanted. <laughs> That's right. It's, it, you can go, if you're small enough, you can go sleep in the Sammy Davis <laughs> alcove. And that concludes The Wild Goose, entry 1432.MT0823, certificate number 28232, in the omnibus. Futurelings, uh, it appears that social media will not be the thing that ends the world, but it wasn't great while it lasted. Uh, uh, and yet here, John and I were, John's off Twitter now. Good job. Well, Still? I kinda, did you, did you fall off the wagon last night? The whole, the whole COVID-19 coronavirus, um, stuff has got me kind of back on there s- snooping around. Cause I, I'm, 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 I'm not a, the latest. I'm a human being. I want to know what's going on. I'm sequestered, but I don't like it on there. It is the problem with Twitter is it really is the fastest way to get to know everything, whether it's true or not. Um, the speed is very attractive. We are at Omnibus Project on Twitter, at all, Facebook, Instagram. John is at John Roderick on Instagram. I'm at Ken Jennings on Twitter. You can uh, email us communication in our day at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can send us physical items uh, at our P.O. Box, P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. We will Purell the hell out of whatever it is, and then we will open it and take a look. Did you see... Uh, this, John, the, uh, the sodium citrate someone sent us. That's alliterative. Someone sent us sodium citrate? It, it even says sequestering on it. I don't know why it says sequestering. Someone sequestered us some sodium citrate? The secrets of sodium citrate have been sequestered. Sodium citrate has secrets? Uh, it's the thing where we mentioned it in government cheese. It's the ingredient you can mix with almost any liquid and okay. add to any cheese and it'll make... It has the magical power yes. to make any cheese the consistency of cheese whiz. Yes. So if you want to make provolone cheese whiz or manchego cheese whiz, hmm. all you need is this uh, this sequestered powder in here. I don't think I want those things. Oh well, I'll take this home. I'll make weird off-brand cheese whizzes. Cheeses whiz. I don't care. Cheeses whiz. Uh, we. Uh, you could also uh, support the show uh, financially at our Patreon. Patreon.com/slash omnibus project i mean i know we're entering into a global recession right now um but uh for those of you who still want to throw your support to the show we admire the optimistic spirit there yes that this is something that we as a people are going to get through yes and the way to, sh- to symbolically show that is to support your favorite podcast obviously away no that's right. that's the main thing when you get your government check when you get your first ubi check uh send us what you can afford why not <laughs> John's not going to cash his. It's going to sit on his microwave for six months. If you are a millionaire and want to trickle down, you should be out helping people. You should be buying respirator masks or donating your money to uh, to find to find a uh, um, what is the word? An vaccine. inoculation. Thank you. You should be you should be devoting your money to to uh, hurrying vaccines through the pipeline. But if you're a billionaire and you're just throwing money everywhere. Throw some to the Omnibus Project. It's just rounding error. Convert the tiny, tiniest bedroom on your yacht into a hospital bed space. That's right. Why not? That's right. Uh, did you do our P.O. Box? I did. Yeah. And I did the Facebook. Oh, you the Futurelings congregate on Facebook as Futurelings. There are similar gathering places on Reddit and Discord, Discord probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not a time for Discord. TikTok. It's a time for unity. No, stay off TikTok. It's bad. TikTok's bad. You've got some experience now. Uh, uh, well, no, some news has come out that the that TikTok, which is a oh, right. Chinese owned, uh, Chinese government potentially owned operation, had a policy in place to delete posts or downvote posts made by uh, ugly people and poor people. So we're not we're not supporting TikTok. How how Marxism has failed? We don't even know what it is. That's right. That's that's the Marxists failing. Maoists. That's right. Maoism used to love ugly, uh, poor people. They did. It was yeah. their main thing. It was as, as they were as they were killing all the the uh, the glamorous rich people. Mao's not a great looking guy, but still giant six story banners of his face all over Beijing well, because 
you know, that's what they celebrated. Celebrate diversity. That's what I say. And that's what the, the Chinese communists say. Future links from our vantage point in your distant past, we have a pretty good idea how long our civilization survived. It survived in mid-2020, uh, before it came completely unraveled at the first sign of trouble. Is this the, is this the official position of this show now, that no. uh, the coronavirus is the cataclysm? Because I was going to say it is not. No, I cannot, I cannot say that it is the cataclysm. I think that... Um, I think that we will survive this as so many other slings and arrows. Uh, but and, and we hope and pray that that is true. And we hope and pray that this catastrophe that we fear uh, may never come and that this this flu is not the beginning. This of the won't end. be it. We're, no. we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna ride this out just in time for the meteor to hit or whatever. Right. Uh, but if the worst comes soon, if this COVID uh, infection is followed by a gigantic earthquake... This recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. 